screen. Uh, you never know, the media could just turn off. We've been having all kinds of fun with that the last couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, if, uh, if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong there. Um, but uh, that's okay. And, uh, you know, actually what happened is I told, told Andy, I said, you know, we need to make some updates and some things back there in the back. So if you could just kick it and make everything go out for a little bit, and then we'll just pretend like that was what it is. And if we, just, if we replaced everything, then it would fix the problem, all right? So, uh, so for Whitehall Baptist Church, that's, that's really what happened, okay? But, uh, no, I'm thankful for, for our media, and uh, they do a lot of work back there, running the sound and the media and taking pictures uh, for me and a bunch of other things as well, and so thankful for that. But James is where we're at. We've been in James for some time now. In fact, I forget who it was. Uh, uh, I think it was Ron uh, last week. He's, he's not here today, but he came to me last week, and he said, didn't you just finish up preaching? Didn't you just preach through, through James last year? I said, actually, yeah, we, we were preaching through last year in James, and, and we're still preaching through the book of James this, <laughs> this year, and, uh, and so anyway, we've been in it for a little while, but I hope you've gotten a lot out of it, uh, and uh, this morning I believe is going to be a, a special help to us. So we're in James chapter number four this morning. We're going to look at these verses, read them, and then we'll ask for the Lord's help this morning and dive into things together. So James chapter number four, look at verse number 13. The Bible says this, go to now. Ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For thus ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting, all such rejoicing is evil. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning, and then we'll dive into God's Word together. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your Word. And for a few moments, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, and God, give us what you desire for us to get today. Thank you, God, for the many friends that we have here, and I pray, God, that um, each person that's here would be encouraged by your Word. I pray, Lord, that you'd be lifted up, that you'd be magnified. They don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so, God, thank you for, for your Word that's powerful. Thank you for how you've already used this passage in my life this week, and yet I look forward to what you're going to do with it today and the weeks to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you get married, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, some of you have experienced this, some of, many of you have not, uh, but uh, you're, you're joining yourself to that person, to become one. And even before the marriage day, maybe you, uh, you, when you dated them or you were building a relationship with that person, uh, you, you'd, you'd, if somebody asked you, what do you think about them or, or what, are you, what are your thoughts about that other person, you'd have a multitude of, of answers, all right? You'd say, well, they're the, the love of my life, you know, they're, they're beautiful. Well, they're, the, some of you uh, probably uttered the words, I know I did, they're perfect, right? And then you get married to them, you find out, well, that's not true, okay? Uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's what we think, right? Uh, some, somewhere along the way, you'll, you'll probably say something like this. Well, they are my life. They're my life. When you have kids, right, life gets, gets busy. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about even this morning about how busyness isn't always a good thing, but, but when you have children, life gets really busy. You find out how selfish you were with your time because then it's all about their time, right? And, and, uh, and probably somewhere along the way, you've said this. I know we, we've said this. My kids, they're my life. Some say the same thing about a job maybe that they hold or, or about you know, the pet that they have. Um, maybe there's some of you that you just love your pet and they're your life. Um, and then you have kids and then you see where they fit, all right? And so that's, that's how that works. At least it was with us. This is my life, you think. But what do we really mean when we say that? 
What, what is that? What does that even mean? Well, this is my life. The, you know, what, what is your life? What, what are we saying when we say it? We're saying that this is something that consumes me, my thoughts, my plans, the things that I intend to do. It's, it's, it's consuming part of my life, something that surrounds our life. Number 14 here in, in, in James, in his, his little note that he's writing here, he, he poses this same question to the readers. And this question is a question that could pass down through the centuries, even to us today. He asked that question, what is your life? In James's time, and, and as we've mentioned before, the book of James was the earliest written New Testament book. It was the first one recorded. I know in, in the, the canon of Scripture, you find it further in the back of the New Testament, but it was the earliest recorded uh, book in the New Testament. And when that happened, when he was recording that book, there was a lot of things that were going on. In fact, trade was, was really opening up to, to the then known world. People were traveling from city to city and from place to place, and, and they, were, they were trading commodities. Uh, and things like that. They were building wealth for many. This pursuit of, of wealth building and, and life building and kingdom building that, that they were doing, building their own kingdom, it became the consuming focus of their lives. And the Christians that were there in that day and age were not immune to this lifestyle or this, this thinking. You almost hear James uttering those words ringing once again from verse number 8 when James said, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And he said this, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Their attention being taken away from, from, from God and the thing that it should be and, and being distracted by all these other things in their lives, all the opportunities that surrounded them. And in verse number 13, James James nails them down. He says that, that phrase there at the beginning. Go to now. It, it has the idea there of, of, hey, listen up. Pay attention. It's the same phrase that we're going to see here in a couple of weeks when we get to chapter number 5, verse number 1, when he begins to address the rich. Uh, he, he's going he's gonna to say the, the same thing to them. He's saying, hey, listen, I've got something to tell you. Listen up. Pay attention. And what he describes is what many of them would have said, this is my life. Look at what he says in verse number 13. They, they would have signed their name to it. Go to now, he says, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. They, they had plans, right, that they had for themselves. Plans for when they were going to do things, today or, or maybe tomorrow. Plans for where they would go. Hey, we're going to go to this spe specific city and do this. They had plans for their future. They're going to continue there for, for about a year or so, and then we'll, we'll go somewhere else. They had plans to build their, their personal kingdom, to buy, to sell, to get gains. It was their plans. It was their life. They'd pulled out their smartphones, I guess you could say, and scheduled every aspect of their life for as far as it could go out. Their plans, they had it all figured out. They had it all organized and categorized. And in and, and, and my phone right now, I could pull it out and I could show you, I've got, I've got everything scheduled. People ask me, what are you doing on this day? And I say, I have no idea, let me look, okay? And I'll pull it out and, and I've got everything color-coordinated. Color you know, okay, this is things I'm doing for the church and this is things for my family and this is things for my work and this is things for preaching. And here's and i got everything, and it's, there's different colors every day of the, and I've got everything planned out for the whole year, what I'm going to be doing, and even something to the next year, what, what I'm going to be do, 
excuse me, doing, and, and we have everything planned out. That, that was kind of what it was for them. That everything planned out, everything scheduled. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to go. I'm going to do these things. We're going to make this money. They had everything planned out. This was their life. Church, the same question can be asked us today. What is your life? What is your life? I mean, think about it. Answer that question for yourself. What is it? Is, is it the job that you work? Is that your life? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it the, the, the guy that you're dating, the girl that you're dating? Who is it? What is it? Is it your dog? Is it something that you enjoy doing? Is it the outdoors? Is it, is it, is it, what is it that, that is your life? You know, the truth is, is most of us try to fool ourselves into believing that it's one thing, but in reality, your time tells the truth about what your life really is. Because what you plan your life around is what consumes you. What dictates your schedule? Whatever that is, that is your life. Now, now here's the key to what James is getting to in, in these verses. And, and we're not going to get all the way through everything. In fact, I, I, yesterday as I was looking through and I had this big long outline of all these things and I'm sitting there going, there's no way that we're going to get through this in one message. And so uh, just like we do so oftentimes, we, we broke it into two, okay? You're welcome, okay? I didn't want you to be here until two o'clock in the afternoon uh, with this message. And so, so today we're just going to, we're really going to just scratch the surface of these things. But, but this morning, we're going to take a look at, at really what the key is that, that James is getting to that that wasn't really what what the real problem was because the truth is it wasn't the fact that they had made plans that was the problem that the issue was upon initial reading of this passage initial examination it would be easy to come to the conclusion that God is anti-planning and to, and for people like me at first, it was like, woohoo, you know, because I, I, honest, in all honesty, even though I've got everything on my calendar, I, I hate planning. I, I really don't enjoy it. I like people to plan things, and then I just show up. That's, that's the way I like to do that, and, and I, like, I, 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 can, I like to fly by the seat of my pants and just kind of, you know, we just make things happen, and, and, uh, and Isaac, we, we'll, I'll meet with him, and we'll sit down and things, and Isaac, he'll, he'll say, well, what do you have planned what, what do you want to do and and he wants me, this is it's ridiculous okay he wants me to plan for the meeting that we're going to have to plan and I'm just like oh it's just it's it's awful okay and because uh, that's not the way I operate I, I like to, to just hey we'll just make it happen the time that we could spend planning about planning we can just you know let's just go do it let's just go get it done and, and so when you when you read something like this it's kind of like all right you know I've got the backing of scripture behind me that that we can just we can just do what we want to and and, and, and we don't we don't need plans and and, and there's probably some, some spouses in here, maybe you're, you know, elbowing your spouse, and you're like, hey, listen, listen to what he's saying, you don't have to plan so much, you know, and, that, and, and maybe that's what, you, what you're thinking, but that's, that's not, unfortunately, that's not what, uh, what James was getting at here, okay, he wasn't putting down planning, he wasn't saying that planning was a bad thing, in fact, the Bible's very pro-planning, the Bible, in many verses, encourages planning and, and working those plans. Over in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient funds to build it. Okay, he said to finish it. He says, listen, uh, there, it's a good thing to plan out so that you can make sure that, that you can work your plan. The problem wasn't that they were looking to make moves that would make, make their life more profitable. 
Well, well, many condemn people that have money and, and they take this passage even and they will use it to say, listen, people that have money, well, that's an evil thing. That's not what the Bible's getting at here. It's not, it's not a wrong thing for, for people to, to make money. Sometimes in our churches, we've gotten this, this, this mindset that, listen, if, you, if a person has money, then they must be evil. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. And that's not what James is saying here. He's not saying that it was a bad thing for them to go and to make plans to become profitable. Hey, listen, I'm thankful for, for businessmen that have been successful that have blessed our church it's it's a blessing listen if you know some cinemar way okay that'd be great all right i mean listen it's so funny how we condemn people that have money until we need money and then we go to the people that have money and, and you know that's the way that works that's not what he was getting at here that's not what he was saying and the problem was not necessarily what they were spending their time doing all working is a good thing Laziness, the Bible says a lot against laziness and a lot pro-working. So that's, that's not what he's getting at here. No, the problem was that they were doing all these things without giving any thought to God. See, there's no sign of God in verse number 13. Go to now, he says... Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and we'll continue there a year and we'll buy and we'll sell and we'll get gain and, and hey, we're just going to live our lives. But they never gave any thought to God. And when James asked that question in verse number 14, what is your life? The resounding answer could have been, it's my life, it's my control. See, if, if God was mentioned at all in their plans, it would have been just simply an afterthought in their already busy lives. So friend, what is your life? James asks. What is your life? Sure, they were Christians, but as one commentator said, in their lives they were practicing atheists. Sure, they said there was a God, but did their life demonstrate it? In Genesis 13, Abraham had just returned back from, from Egypt and made his way to Bethel. It's, it's an incredible story. In fact, I, I love to, to preach on it. It's amazing. You really, really, you can look at that passage, and it's kind of interesting how, how Abraham was in the place God wanted him to be, and, and then a famine came, a difficult time came, and, and he looked at it and said, well, I could trust God where I'm at, but instead I'm going to go to, to Egypt. And the Egypt oftentimes was a picture of the world. And, and uh, he went down to Egypt to try to figure it out himself and just got, just got in a mess there is basically what happened. You probably re remember the story. They're on their way down. You can imagine they're driving, you know, driving down or whatever in their chariot. And they're making their way, making their way over there. And, and he looks over at Sarah and he's like, hey, like, you're really pretty. And if we get here and... Uh, and these guys, they think you're pretty. They're, they're going to kill me. So why don't you just say that? I got, a, got this great plan. Why don't you say that you're my sister? And, uh, and you can imagine how that conversation must have been. Like she looks at him, she's like, what? You know? And uh, he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be cool. You know, just, you know just, just say you're my sister. You know? And so, I mean, and that didn't work out well, all right? For, uh, you know, spoiler alert, okay? And so, you know, they get to the end of it, and finally Pharaoh's like, get out of here. Like, you, you're, you're bringing judgment on our city. Get out of here. And so, so, so Abraham leaves, and they go back home, and, and he gets back home, and, and they have too much stuff. Too much. And uh, he specifically runs into an issue with his herdsmen, the people that are taking care of his flock and sheep and stuff, and his nephew's herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen. They, they, they have so many now that, that he looks and he says, man, we got, we got too much here. 
We got to do something about this. I, I don't. Uh, Lot, this isn't going to work for us both to stay here. So we, so we need to make a plan. And he says, Lot, he said, I got this idea. He says, why don't you, he said, here's the, the, the plane of, of uh, here's the planes that are in front of you. He says, why don't you choose whichever way you think is best? And you go that way. And he says, and I'll go the other way. So he says, Lot, you, you get to choose. And you remember what happened there? The Bible says in Genesis 13, verse number 10, it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and he beheld the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of, of the Lord, listen to this part, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. So what did Lot do? Well, Lot chose him all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Nabram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You know what's missing in this story? What's missing in this story is the moment where Lot should have stopped and said, you know what, Abram, thank you for this opportunity. Let me take a minute and let me ask God about this. But instead of asking God about it, what did he do? He, he looked and he said, this looks good to me. In fact, he thought back to old Egypt and, and, and the worldly things that, that he'd gotten himself involved in while he was there. And, and he thought to himself, hey, this looks a little bit like Egypt. He saw Sodom, he saw Gomorrah, and, and, and his eyes, you know, they widened a little bit. And his, I mean, the attractiveness of sin was right there. And he thought, man, this, is a little, this looks a little bit like Egypt. Maybe this could be a place where I could really make some money. This could be a place where I could really become profitable. This is the place where I could go, and maybe I could stay here for a year, and I could buy, and I could sell, and I could get gain, if we could put it from James' perspective. perspective. But we all remember the story of Lot, and what a sad story it is. The day came where God decides that he's going to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot is given the opportunity to escape. And, and the Bible tells us that he goes to his family and they thought he was foolish. They thought he was crazy. And Lot escapes with his two daughters and his wife. And even on the way out, he loses his wife because she was so hooked by that city. His family so controlled by that city. It costs Lot everything. Now, according to the New Testament, Lot was a saved man. But there was nothing in his decisions to make that, that sense that he even hinted at God being involved in any of the plans that he made. It was all about how he could profit. Lot, if we could ask him, what, what is your life? I think he would have said, I got this. My life. My control. You know, we'd be hard-pressed to find any person in the Bible, in God's who made a decision on their own without the direction or blessing of God that turned out in a positive way. You'd be hard-pressed to find any. Saul thought that he could, he could do things his way with the Amalekites, and it resulted in the blessing and power of God being taken from his life. David thought he could take a few days off and, and, and leave from the battle and just stay home and, and maybe just you know indulge in a little bit of sin and, and it turned out uh, to be the, the, the fall of his family to defeat in his life and, and from that point on it was a turning point for him. Satan 
thought he could play with sin and do things his way, and he ended up with his eyes gouged out in public humiliation. Yes, many of them, God worked even in their failures, but how much greater, you can't help but wonder, could have done if they had chosen not to take their life into their own hands without any consideration of God. But here's the key to what James is getting at in these verses. God God didn't just want to be consulted when they made their plans. Sometimes we, we treat God like a, like a consultant. What's a consultant? When, whenever you're, you're going through something, when you're making a decision on something, what do you do? You go to somebody, hey, what do you think about this? And we, we get their opinion, and then we decide if we're going to do what they say or not, or, or if we're just going to do what we want to do. We treat God like a consultant whenever it comes to, to so many things. And, and that's not what he was looking for. He wasn't looking just to approve the list that they had put together for their lives. No, no, no. James was getting something that was far more powerful, and this is the point today. He was trying to get across the point that God doesn't want to just check off on the list. God wants to hold the entire list. God wants to write and make the list. My, my wife loves to make lists and, and make plans, and this is translated down to, to our kids. And so, this is uh, especially my oldest one, Jace. He's seven years old, and, and he's a thinker. He's always thinking about things. He's always making plans and stuff. And the other day, I picked him up from wrestling pl- practice, and, and uh, we got him. We had to run by the store real quick. And, and, and he said, Daddy, he said it was about 6 o'clock. And I said, Daddy, he said, uh, it's, it's about 6 o'clock right now. He said, I know we got to go to the store. He said, if we get to the store, he said, can we play a game tonight? He said, if we get to the store and we get everything done there and we get home by about 6.15 or 6.20, he said then, seven years old, okay? And he says, if we, if we get this, he said, then we can get home. And he said, then mommy can finish making meals. And I'm like, well, at least we're training him a little bit, the right, you know, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just, just joking, okay, she's not in here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I said, okay, you know, that, that'll work. And he said, yeah, he said, she can, she can make them and we can, we can eat supper around 6.30. And he said, we should be done with supper by, by around 6.50 or 7 o'clock. And, and then he said, if we, if we hurry and we get our jam, he's on and we brush our teeth and get ready for bed and stuff he said we'd probably be done with that by about 7 15 and he said then we'd have about 45 minutes before we had to go to bed to play a game and he said daddy what do you think about that it's like your your mother's child that's what i think about that you know like what? what's wrong with you stop it you know snap out of it they're planners our kids they, they love to plan things sometimes they'll they'll sit, they'll look at us and, and they'll be like mommy daddy hey can, can we go and can we eat at this restaurant. Mommy and Daddy, can we, can we go and, and can we play at this place? Mommy and Daddy, can you go spend money here? And, and they make plans. You know, if we go and we do this and we do that and, and then we can have fun here and, and, and let's drive over to this place and drive over to that place. And I'm sitting here the whole time and I'm saying, you can make all the plans you want, but I'm the one that makes the final decisions here, all right? You think you're the one making the plans, but the really reality is the plans are up to me. The plans are up to your mom. It's not about you. You think you're in control. But really, I'm in control. And that's the point that James is getting at here. So you have your list of plans and all that you're going to do, but you've forgotten who's actually in control. As they make their plans for all the things that they're going to do in the future, he looks at him and he says, listen, you've forgotten the one who actually controls the future. 
They were making all their plans with God on the outside. James is clear what this type of planning, this type of life looks like. He says in James chapter number 4, verse number 16, there he describes it. He says, listen, but now you, you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You know what he's saying there? When he talks about you rejoicing in your, in your boastings, what he's saying there is, listen, he says, listen, you, you are, your plans, all these things that you're doing, he says, listen, you're boasting like you're in control. He says, here's the root of it. It's pride. It's pride. And here's what he says about it. He says, that is evil. I'm convinced, okay? Now, some of you may or not agree with me on this. I'm convinced some of the most evil people in this world are are the meteorologists at the weather station, okay? And I, I believe it's according to the scriptures, okay? I mean, you, you turn on the TV or something. I mean, some of you do. Uh, you turn on, you watch the news. I, I pull it up on an app, and, and, and they tell me what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. And they are always wrong. Every time, it's amazing. They're like, listen, it's going to be sunny and 65 degrees. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And you look at it, and it's snowing outside. And it's just like... I don't think they get this right, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's many times out here, you look on your weather app, and it's like 0% chance of rain, you look outside, and the rain is pouring down, and it's just like, they don't, they, they don't get it, you know, and so I'm convinced that according to the scripture, that weather forecast uh, tellers, you know, meteorologists, that they are the most evil and prideful people that are on this earth, okay, I mean, that's, that's, uh, okay, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, okay, that I don't really think that they're really evil, Maybe just a little bit, but not, not like over the top, okay? That's not. But I kind of think of that, that's how God looks at us when we look at the future without God. Because the truth is, we in reality are no more in control of life than the weatherman is in control of what the weather is actually going to do. And to live life like we are in control of everything and make our plans without even considering the one who's actually in control of the plans and control of life is nothing short of boasting and prideful. And God says that it's evil. And you know what the truth is? I don't like the way that feels. <laughs> How about you? I, I, don't like, I don't like it whenever, whenever the Bible looks at something in my life that I've excused and said it's not that big of a deal and God says, no, no, no that's evil. <laughs> Ouch. I don't want to be called evil by God. I don't want what I do to be called evil by God. But when we decide to look at God and say, I've got this, he says you're doing it out of pride and God hates pride. In Proverbs Chapter number six, he says, these six things does the Lord hate. Ye seven are an abomination unto him. And the first thing he says is a proud look. Pride. It was pride that caused Lucifer to fall from heaven because he desired to be the same as God. It was pride that led Adam and Eve to, to take of the fruit in the garden and eat just because God said something didn't actually mean we have to do it that way, they thought. It was pride that did lead Saul not to obey in the destroying of the Amalekites. I've got a better way. I'll save the oxen, I'll save the sheep, I'll save these things, and then I'll offer them as sacrifices. That's what I'll do about it. God, I know what you think, but I've got my own way. It was pride that led David to think that he could just take a day off from God's plan and do his own thing. And it was pride that led Samson to think he was strong enough to play with sin and do his old thing without any consequences. 
And friend, understand this, it's pride that will lead you to live and plan your life in your own power. And James reminds those first century believers, you don't have control of tomorrow, let alone a year down the road. You've forgotten the one who's truly in control of your life. You're operating from your pride. And that's an evil thing. And it's no different when we do the same thing in our life. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're getting into three specific points, okay? You know, we're, we're good Baptists here, okay? Three specific points that, that, that we'll get from these verses that will help us to ensure we aren't living our lives from our pride. But this week, I, I want to give us one very practical thought, okay? And then we're gonna, we'll be done. Okay, one, something real practical, all right? And to do this, I'm going to give you a, a visual illustration. So hopefully this will be a help to us this morning, okay? All right. So get this out. Make sure everybody can see it. This here's a jar. So actually it's a vase or a vase, all right? And uh, <clears throat> because that's the clearest one that we had. So that's what we get, all right? So we got, we got a vase up here, all right? And uh, so, so this, this vase represents our life, okay? Our life. This is our life. Now, what you put in your, your life is very important, right? What you do with your life is, is very important, and, and that's, that's key, okay? So, so this is what we do, okay? You've never seen milk poured into a vase before, okay? This is going to be a first for you too, all right? Me as well. Hopefully this doesn't, this works. If it doesn't, we'll say it would have been a good thought, okay? So our life's full of plans, right? We, we have lots of things that we, we want to do, lots of things that we think, all right? So we, we want to go and have the friends when we're young, right? You know, that's, that's part of it, okay? We want to, to go to the college that we want. We want to meet the person that we want. We want to fall in love with the person that we want. We want to get a career or the job that we want. We, we want to, to live, do the things that we want to do, that we want to go. We, that's, that's what we want. We want these things for, for our life. And, and that's kind of what it's like. I mean, we're, we're constantly putting things into our life, all the things that, that we want to do. We have all these plans, all these things. Go into the field that we want to go into and want our kids to go into the fields we want them to go into, be successful in the things we want them to go into. And then ultimately... I know this because my parents are, are them. We want to have grandkids, okay, that, uh, that live close to us. All right, that's, that's the way that that, that, that works, okay? We have, we have all these plans. But we're Christian, okay? We're Christian. And so as Christians, I forgot to take the top off of this, so we're going to, okay? As Christians, we know that God needs to be a part of our life, right? So what do we do? Well, we... We want to put God in our life, so, so we go to church, right? Okay, so that's, you know, we go to church, we pray, we read our Bibles, we, we invite people to church, we do good things, okay? We're just, we're constantly trying to do good things and, and trying to good, be good people and do, do God things, right? That's, that's what we try to do, right? And uh, we're trying to be, uh, do the Christian things with our life because we really want God to, to be a part of it. We don't, you know, we, we really want him to be involved with our life and, uh, 
and, and we're Christians. And so that's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? You know, so, so you, yeah. And here's what happens. We want God to be a part of our life, but that's not what God wants. That's not what God wants. Because, see, the primary purpose of our life is to glorify him. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the Bible says he doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. So what does that mean? Well, he wants us to have friends so that he can tell them about God so that we can tell them about God. He wants us to look at our work and to work in a place that we can use to tell, tell them about God. And he wants us to, uh, to have kids that we can raise. And, and, and we want, he wants them to be involved in activities and be involved in sports and be involved in things like that as opportunities to make connections that we can talk to people about God. And, and he wants us to, to have the job that we have so that we can use that job with a purpose to, to tell those, those people about God. And you know what he wants? He doesn't just want to be a part of our life. No, he wants to be every part of our life. He wants to, to saturate our life. He wants every part of our life to be consumed with him. He wants us to live where we live, not because it's a beautiful place to live here in Montana, or maybe, I don't know, maybe Mississippi, I don't know. But No, he, he wants us to live there. Why? For a specific purpose so that we can reach those friends and those neighbors and those people that we come in contact with. You see, every aspect of our life, no, 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 not that God's just a part of our life somewhere down here at the bottom, just sprinkled in at the end, and we've got our life, and then our time that we do things for God. No, no, God says, I want every part of your life to be infused with me. I was so humbled this, recently, I, I went to pick up Jace from, from one of his practices and they just finished up, and I went in there, and, and we're getting ready to go out the door. <clears throat> and he said, Daddy, I, I want to invite my friends to church. Can I do that real quick? Can I invite them to church? And, and listen, I, this is, I, and you, you probably have been there. This was my first thought. I'm tired. Let's just go home. Because, <laughs> see, he doesn't know yet. He's young. He's seven years old. He doesn't know yet that you're supposed to compartmentalize your faith. You're supposed to go to church on Sunday and you're supposed to pray before you eat and you're supposed to read your Bible and, and you're supposed to do all those things, but it's not supposed to infuse into every part of your life, right? He, he, hasn't, he hasn't learned that yet. Can I tell you, I hope he never does. Because for far too many of us, it's just a part of our life but it doesn't infuse every aspect of our life. Realizing that everything that we do is for a purpose. And God says, listen, I don't, 
I don't just want to, to sign off on, on what you're doing with your life. No, no, no. I want to be your life. I, I want to be in every part of your life. I want to flow out of every part of, of your life. Friend, what is your life? Can we stop making God a part of our life and instead make him our life? Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, and this is, is that in all things, he might have the preeminence. You know what that means? That word preeminent, we, sometimes we say that means that we need to give him first place. We need to put him on the top. No, no, no. When it says preeminence, it means he, he is a part of everything. He's not just at the top of the list. He is the whole list. He, he infiltrates every piece of the list. In Philippians 127, he says, Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that it makes the gospel look good. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in the the spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that my life would be so infused with my God that he flows out of every decision and plan in my life. That my life would be, don't miss this, okay? The Bible says it in Ephesians 5. Filled with the Spirit. Kind of like that. Where he's not just a part. Nope. He's the whole thing. He's in every aspect. And the relationships that I have, what's the purpose? It's so that I can point Christ in their life. And the places and the job that I have... It's not so I can go and make more money. I mean, praise the Lord if we're able to, but the real reason that I'm there, that God's put me there, is so I can show them Christ. And and, and the friends that I have whenever I'm at school and things, or at college, listen, God God brought them to me for a purpose, not not so that they can just, you know, be a part of my life, but no, God, God wants me, he's given me a purpose to, so that I can show them Christ through me. And in every aspect of our life, we realize it's not my life, but it's his. As Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, this life is not mine. It's God's. And I want him to have control of every part of my life. Friend, this morning, what is your life? I hope today that you won't make him a part of your life. I hope you'll make him your entire life and allow him to infuse every part of it. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, the truths and the power that we find in it. And God, you've so helped me with this, this passage of scripture. And God, I look forward to continue to dive into it and even get more out of it. And I just ask today, they got a, kind of a silly illustration, but a simple passage, simple message from God's word would maybe imprint something on our minds that we would realize that every part of our life should be dedicated and given to you. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, I wonder this morning, we're not going to ask for shows of hands or anything like that, but I wonder if this morning, if God didn't speak to your heart, 
And maybe he pointed out, though, listen, there's some areas of your life that you have not allowed God to be in full control over. Some areas of your life that, that you haven't allowed him to, to, to completely be in control. Maybe you've never thought of this aspect. Maybe your entire life has been putting all these categories together, but realizing today for maybe the first time that he doesn't just want to be a part of your life. No, he wants to infuse every aspect of your life, and you need to say, God, I don't know how you could use it in this area, but God, will you show me? Because the purpose of our life is to bring him glory. And whether we're eating or we're drinking or whatever we do, everything is supposed to be done for the glory of God. This morning, I hope that you allow God to speak to your heart and that you respond to him.